What is there about Tony Perkins that made the young people of America acclaim him as their star of the future? Something half hidden behind his eyes. Something wild but warm in his face that makes you know that here is an exciting, explosive new screen personality. And now, climaxing his skyrocket rise to the top, Paramount presents his first starring picture, Fear Strikes Out, an actual story of youth today, defiant, violent. Jimmy, who fell in love with the same all-consuming energy that he lived. I don't care what happens. I love you, Mary. Jimmy, who faced the teenage problem of a boy whose father drove him to the edge of desperation. You want to call you yellow? If that's what you want, you're no son of mine, then. Jimmy, who balanced on the ragged edge of rage and violence, twisted and trapped by a world he never made. I want to help. Well, I don't need any help. Fear strikes out with Anthony Perkins scoring the dramatic sensation of the year in the real-life story of young Jimmy Pearsall, Major League Baseball star whose secrets were exposed with startling frankness in the Saturday Evening Post. Get him! Get him! Get him! Get him! Get him! On this special episode of Movie Geeks United, we commemorate the 60th anniversary of the release of the 1957 film Fear Strikes Out, the true story of Jimmy Pearsall, the baseball player who battled mental illness the film is notable for launching the careers of several very big players in the Hollywood scene in decades following the release of Fear Strikes Out. Uh, they would later become major figures in the film industry during the following decades. Its director, Robert Mulligan, would go on to direct many feature films that were big successes, among them The Summer of 42 and To Kill a Mockingbird. Its producer, Alan Pecula, would go on to direct some of the seminal films of the 1970s, including All the President's Men, Clute, and The Parallax View. And this was the first film also to feature a starring leading role for Anthony Perkins, who of course would later go on to bigger fame in Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho just three years later. Tonight we speak with the female lead from that film, Fear Strikes Out, and the last surviving member of its major cast members, Norma Moore, who Norma Frank, who was billed in the film as Norma Moore. Norma has also appeared in many other television series and films, including Perry Mason, The Wonderful World of Disney in Color, Dallas, and Have Gun Will Travel. It is a pleasure to have you on our show, Norma. Well, thank you, and it's a pleasure <laughs> to be able to be on the show. <laughs> well, uh, first, I always like to, all my interview subjects, I like to get them to tell me how they uh, got into the business and uh, where they started, and so I'll get you to tell your your origins story, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term. <laughs> right, all right. Um, well, I I knew for a long time that acting was what I wanted to do, and when I um, went to um, UNCG uh, for a year, and at which time, believe it or not, they didn't even have a, a theater major. They had the major was considered English with an emphasis on drama. That's what it was called, but they. Um, 
had an apprentice program going with the Flat Rock Playhouse in the summers, and mm-hmm. I started, um, I went there the summer after my freshman year, met professionals, you know what they say, don't let your daughter meet professionals or go to New York or whatever, but that's exactly <laughs> what happened after that. I did not go back <laughs> I went instead to the Neighborhood Playhouse School of the Theater in Manhattan and got my training there for two years, Um, got an agent at the end of the second year because we had what they called demonstrations then to which they invited agents and producers. And, um, well, then I I worked in... um, First, I worked overseas with Mary Martin and Helen Hayes in theater, strictly, no film. Uh, When I came back, though, I did do film television in New York um, with my agent's help. I was having a wonderful time and um, was under contract to David Selznick, who had opened a New York office and was looking for new New people to have in his, in his. Um, well, I was started to say harem. That's another story, but <laughs> yeah, uh huh. But uh, anyway, uh, I were, went to different classes through him. He wanted to groom me even further, which was a little. Um, I wasn't thrilled with that because I had just gotten out of school and I was raring to go. And um, two friends from the neighborhood playhouse sent me to Bob Mulligan, Robert Mulligan, to interview for the role in Fear Strikes Out. And those friends, by the way, were uh, Sidney, um, oh gosh, Pollock, yes the director, and a very fine actor, too, but went on to be a director, and Mark Rydell, who also went on to be a very, very good director and was a fine actor. They recommended me to Bob Mulligan, and that resulted in a screen test, and, and I got the role. I was using my maiden name, which was Norma Vini, which nobody could pronounce And uh, <laughs> when they saw it spelled. And I was still under contract to Selznick. So um, I did a little name change there and changed Vini to Moore. Uh, had the screen test, got the role, and the rest was history. Uh, that's an interesting tra- trajectory, yeah. Yeah. for sure. I was, uh, that way and, and, I wasn't going to be sued for breach of contract. <laughs> well, those are some amazing figures in uh, <laughs> early Hollywood. In Hollywood, you know, uh, for, especially for film fans like myself, it's amazing that you were uh, in the thick of things with uh, such pivotal figures as uh, Sidney Pollack and David O. Selznick and uh, Mark Rydell. Uh, mm-hmm. Mark Rydell and Alan Pakula, of course, later on, yes. and Robert Mulligan. Those are oh, yeah. uh, those are incredible yeah. uh, shoulders to be rubbing against. <laughs> so right, exactly, and um, it's it's kind of a, a strange feeling to be the only one left. Um, but here I am, going. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and uh, and and well, it works. Well, I personally, and I think you and I have talked about this before, and I'm a huge fan of Robert Mulligan, 
and yeah. uh, his work and I uh just spoke to the writer of Summer of 42. We did I did an interview with him last week which will be put up soon and uh he had some fond things to say about him as well. Uh he tried to uh get Summer 42 was in the uh, pipeline. Uh, it was kind of in turnaround for about seven years, Herman uh, Rauscher, the writer, told me, and, and that they finally it, – it, but Robert Mulligan was such a stand-up guy that he uh, stood behind that project, and, and he you know, just wouldn't give up on it until he finally got a green light from, from Warner's in uh, around 1970 to go ahead and do it, and they had no faith in it. And, of course, we, we all know what happened. Yeah. But, that's an, an amazing story as well. But now he was starting out, though he had been a television director uh, in some of the early t- television dramas. Now, had you uh, rubbed shoulders with him uh, when you, I know you had done some drama in the early fifties and I uh, on the television, uh, the Robert Montgomery Presents, I believe. Yes, yes, that's right, that's right. Um, but I hadn't met Robert Mulligan. No. Okay. I- Until, as I said, uh, Sid Bach and Mark Rydell sent me up, set me up and sent me up to meet him, um, which we just talked casually. Um, Then he had me read a scene from the movie, um, from the script, and Mm -hmm. uh, the next thing I knew I got a call and I was going out for a screen test, uh, which was exciting. To say the least. <laughs> of course. And um, a very, you know, easy man to be around. Mm-hmm. Just like we'd been next door neighbors. He was easy to talk with and um, very pleasant. And I never heard, he never had to use any anger or language to work with his actors. He was uh, comp talented and easy to be with and he had a wonderful way of rehearsing may i tell you about that sure we'd love to hear it well uh because films have to be shot out of sequence you know Mm -hmm. from the script uh in order to save money i'm sure to do all the scenes in one place and that Mm -hmm. generally is out of order we rehearsed for two weeks as if it were a play from beginning to end and uh, in other words, so we had the continuity so that when we did have to shoot out of sequence, we knew where we were emotionally in the script mm-hmm. from having rehearsed it for two solid weeks. So I like that. That was a great help. Never had anybody else do that after that. And, um, of course, we had a wonderful cast. In addition to Tony, there was Carl Malden. And um, Perry, I cannot remember her last name, who played the mother. And it it was just a a very fine cast, mostly New York people, in fact. Mm -hmm. And we were new, you know. That that was the the wave of New York actors, method actors, hitting Hollywood. Right. That's what the Playhouse taught. And... um, that and Sanford Meisner was very much a method teacher, and it was um, a, a very good experience. We um, shot in a month, and uh, because of this advanced rehearsal, and all went well. 
Uh, Tony was uh, extremely easy to work with. Um, and you do know that um, Jimmy Pearsall himself called every single day on the set. No, that's yes. something I did not know. Yes, he was so excited, for one thing, and he wanted to come, but he was not allowed on the set. He was barred from the set. Uh, he did not agree with Robert Mulligan's take on why he had the breakdown. Hmm. Of course, was that his father had driven him to it. Right. And uh, that is not in um, Pearsall's book, which he wrote first, Fear Strikes Out. And uh, But that Bob Mulligan lived with that family for three months before he ever began the movie. And he, that was his very strong feeling about it, that it was the father that drove him to it, uh, the breakdown. Because right. that's all that's all the father lived for uh, was for him to become a big baseball star. Mm-hmm. And his every waking moment that he wasn't in school, he was in the backyard catching pitches, throwing pitches, batting. Uh, he didn't have a normal growing up life at all. He, right. Teenage friends were, you know, they were all uh, cruising around, but. He got pulled out of it by his dad to get home and get his rest and so he could practice the next day or so it just wasn't wasn't a normal youth at all plus uh his mother who oh what a good actress she was um and probably is I really don't know but um had a mental situation that was unnamed and they did Bob Mulligan didn't want to go there because that opened up a whole other kettle of fish about mental illness being hereditary mm-hmm. and um, so in the picture to just you know he was Pierceau was an only child and every so often it was mom's gone away She'll be back that she's gone away for a while, which each time was to a mental institution because she was having problems. Wow. Um, never named, but it was mental breakdowns. And uh, but anyway, that was another another line that uh, he avoided in that regard. But Pearsall definitely did not like his take on why he had the breakdown that it was his father that pushed him too hard and just didn't let him have any fun or be a normal teenager in that regard. So he was barred from the set. <laughs> so he called every day, called Bob Mullen. <laughs> That's yes. fascinating. That's yeah. really fascinating. Yeah. And I, I love how that sequence is staged where uh, Tony Perkins does his uh, – you know when they're out on the ball field and he has yes. the big the big breakdown sequence and yes. he's uh, swinging the bat at everybody and yep. <laughs> that's, yep. that was very emotional for everybody. He was very good, very good in that movie. Yeah, and uh, I appreciated his talent a great deal. Very good, and interestingly enough, whether he had planned it or not, I don't know. 
But as we continued shooting, uh, he had started off, we were friendly, good friends. He was pleasant to be around. We lived in the same hotel, the Chateau, Mama. Mm. Um, but as the movie went on, he became more and more distant, which as I look back and retrospect, I think, was that deliberate? I wonder, I wonder. Yeah, he's always been known to be, uh, he was known, even even his son has admitted in interviews that he was not an easy person to be around sometimes. He he, he could be, um, you know, very pleasant uh, <laughs> at one moment, and then the next moment he could just be very, very distant and uh, very difficult to to, to be around. So he's, he was a very... Um, a very unique character from everything I've read, and, and like I said, even heard from his son, his oldest son. I think Oz Osgood is his son. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he's become a film director as well. And oh, uh, really? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, he has. He's he's done several horror films. Uh, I think two or three. He's does got he, several on his resume. But does he use Perkins as his? Life? He does. He does. Yeah. Right. He uses his dad's, oh. dad's name. Yeah. He looks a lot like him too. Now uh, I'm sure you know the the story about his widow, uh, which is just an incredible, bizarre coincidence, where his widow died. Um, I think it was nine years to the month that he died and she was on the plane that flew into nine into uh the I World Trade Center at nine eleven. Did hear that, but I had forgotten that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the sons uh, there were two boys and and they, they uh you know were basically left without their mother and their father within a ten year span through these both tragic things. Of course Tony passed of AIDS, you know, he yes, passed away from yes, AIDS yes. and uh right. and, and uh that that was interesting. We kind of lost touch with each other, you know, after it was over. Right. These, uh, requisite post-movie publicity shots, going to see a show with uh, Tony and me double dating with Tab Hunter and another actor. <laughs> last name, I can't remember. Her first name was Pippa, P-I-P-P-A. Right. Wow. Very nice-looking redhead and pleasant person. Um, the prerequisite publicity. Of course, yeah, and of course Tab Hunter has come out. He had a struggle, I really do. And he really, he worked very hard, I understand. Now, he didn't tell me this, but I was, you know, I was told he worked very hard at um, deepening his voice and uh, uh, I guess... in a nutshell, to become more masculine in some way. So, um, you know, he certainly had a good career, that's for sure. And he certainly was talented. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, and, uh, of course, Tab Tab Hunter has come out, and, and you know, he's he, he certainly in the, the years since. Oh, yeah. yeah. He doesn't care for me at all. <laughs> oh, wow, really? I didn't realize that. What, well, what ta- um you're right. Uh-huh. Well, that's also um, became a little bit of a problem on the set because he was there all the time at in the second half of filming. But in his defense, he had played that role in a television show. They had done a TV show, Fear Strikes Out, in New York, which I didn't know for a long time. And Tab Hunter had played the lead role. 
he had played Jimmy Pearsall. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Very, very interesting. <laughs> yeah. That that I, that's a tidbit I, I didn't know. No, no you, you I, I don't know whether what the name of the show was, you know, whether it was Playhouse 90 or, or uh, GE Theater or uh, what the, but, you know, they had all those hour-long specials mm-hmm. that they did at that time in television, and they did Fear Strikes Out, and Tab Hunter played Jimmy Pearsall in it. So, wow. So he had, you know, really a legitimate reason to be hanging out there. <laughs> the... It was a different time, too. It was a time when you didn't talk about this outside of your professional friends. And uh, Oh, yeah. You know what I'm yeah. And it was just not discussed. And um, it's become far more an open subject today and not as hidden, which I'm sure was hard for the people who were involved. But Tony seemed to have done a pretty good job of successfully uh, handling himself and and mm-hmm. perhaps changing himself. I don't know that much. In that right. Part. I did see him one time. Um, he was on Broadway. Uh, I had married and was living in Hickory by then, and I went to New York with a friend who was a buyer, and I um, don't remember the name of the show, Adam. I'm sorry. I should have written it down somewhere. <laughs> that's okay. And he was in it, and that's why we. I definitely had to see it, and my friend was quite willing to go along, the buyer that I was with. And um, I always remember it. It was a comedy, and I don't remember the rest of the cast particularly, but he had a scene where he backed into the doorway, nude. <laughs> that was, that was a, a little bit of a, I don't think hair had come out yet on Broadway, so that was that was a little bit groundbreaking. He certainly yeah. one of the first Hollywood stars to, to appear that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sent a note backstage at intermission. I... I I can't remember exact, my exact wording, but something to think. I'd like to see you after the show. I've seen, I've, I've seen parts of you I never saw before. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had a little brief reunion afterwards in his dressing room, which was nice. Got caught up a little bit, and that was then, of course, the last time I ever saw him in person. Mm-hmm. But it was. Um, Altogether, it was a very pleasant experience filming the, the film. And Alan Pakula was, you know, everybody was under 30. I think Bob Mulligan was maybe 29. Maybe he was 30, but I don't think he was quite. And then Alan Pakula, I had this figured out at one time. He was 28, something like that. And Tony was 24. I do know that. Um, I guess Carl Malden broke the mold a little bit, but um, uh, I was 21. So um, what? What do you, you know? It, and we were mostly New York and, and and a young group. And this was Alan Pakula's first filming produced for Paramount. He yeah. Had, 
Uh, he had produced another one at another studio that he was with before Paramount. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, what a pleasant man he was. My goodness. And so it's sad what happened there. Oh, absolutely. That was a shocking, a shocking... Terrible, uh, yes, I remember. ...way that yep. he went. We were um, in the car coming back from vacation and had the radio on and it was on the news. And I, oh. Yes, Yes. Yeah. Same. It was uh yeah, he it was amazing, you know, that he he had a partnership there for a while with uh, Bob Mulligan and they uh they did um you know, of course they went on to greater fame. Probably their his their greatest fame is a partnership with To Kill a Mockingbird after Fear Strong yeah. Sound. Yes, what a fine film that was. Yeah. They did a great job with it and there's a nice uh, audio commentary uh, that uh, that they they both contributed an audio commentary to the DVD. This was before they both had passed. Oh, so you, oh, you, um, oh my! So, yeah, uh, so you you can actually go back and listen to them reminisce uh, uh, together oh, about their partnership when they were making uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. It's it's uh, preserved for uh, for, for future generations. So, it's still uh, that, available. Do you think? I'd love to well, hear. Yeah, it's it's out, it's available. Yeah, it's the it's the the one that Universal put out. Uh, I think it's included on there. But they they recorded that not long, I think, before uh, Alan Pecula passed, and I think it was like a year after they recorded that commentary. And thankfully, they got it down while he was still around. Yes. Yes. But uh, yeah, but I, I was wondering, and I know you've been participating in a documentary uh, that's in the works. Yes. Uh, I was going to get you to tell us a little bit about that, the documentary on Alan Pakula. It, it was um, a by. I was contacted by a man um, who has a company that makes documentaries. It's called. Um, oh, what is that? It's in the last part of the name is Endeavors, but uh, anyway, we worked it out. He was. This documentary was to commemorate the 40th anniversary of his death, of Alan Pakula's death. Mm-hmm. And um, again, having worked in Fear Strikes Out and and by, <laughs> by circumstances being the only one left. <laughs> yeah, right. We worked it out. I was in New York to see the actor's son of a friend of ours here named and um, Pat Moskawa. Her son Greg has had a, an outstanding career in New York. He has overcome cerebral palsy to to go on to bigger and greater things. Uh, and uh, we worked it out that while I was up there to see Greg in his play, um, that we, I could do the interview for the documentary, which is to come out next year, 2018. So uh, as that was the plan. Um, I haven't heard differently. But I'm yeah. looking forward to seeing that. His yeah, I w- think they're still working uh, on it, I believe. I think they're getting ready to finish it up, from what oh, I understand. Oh, okay. So. All right. I love it. <coughs> so in the know. That's wonderful. Okay. Yeah, I think it's it's a done deal, oh. I believe, from what I understand. So we're and we're and we're big fans of Alan Pecul on our show. We're big, uh, all of us. I think especially uh, you know all the president's men is such a yes. such a fine piece of work that never ages and uh Yes, yes, yes. 
And isn't it wonderful how he got into directing? Uh, yes, fine man, talented man. Always yeah. Think, uh, he always, and I say this in the interview for that docu- documentary, he looked a tiny bit like a young Jack Lemmon. <laughs> uh, he did. He, the way he cut, combed his hair, and he always had on a Brooks Brothers suit and a white shirt and a tie. Anytime he was on the set, that was how he was dressed, always. And um, uh, just very professional, never interfered. If he had anything to say to Bob Mulligan, why he did it, as a, and privately, you know, never said anything on the set. So I got to know him a little better after the the filming when we were still there for publicity purposes was able to have dinner with him a couple of times, enjoyed him very much, very fine man. It was a shock when he died that way. Yes, and absolutely. His widow is uh, also still living and, and going to be in the documentary, so that'll be good, very good. Yeah, we can't wait to see it. We can't wait to see it. And uh, But, yeah, I find that interesting, uh, like you were talking about earlier, uh, how these the studios, the way they ran things back in those days when they uh, <laughs> would put you up uh, with certain people and, yeah. and tell you to go out on dates. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> That's a fascinating... It uh, happened, yeah. Uh-huh. Right, exactly. <laughs> and there was uh, one date, and... Uh, of course, we were able to go to wardrobe, and they'd provide us with what we were to wear on the date. Okay, I was fine with me. Anyway, <laughs> um, I had this outfit that I was to wear um, on one of them, and just so happens, I guess I was looking at a, an issue of Photoplay or something. Mm-hmm. I'd done a movie, um, two movies, I think, before Fear Strikes Out, and one of them, what was her name? Her first name was Elaine. Anyway, there was one of those publicity photos there where he was dating her after the movie, and she had on the same dress. <laughs> 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 I called in the next day. I said, nope, I'm not wearing that dress, okay? <laughs> this is why. <laughs> Get about it. <laughs> Thought it was oh, like something else. <laughs> that's oh. great. Yeah, yeah, they they were arranged all right. Now they they shot Fear Strikes Out. I, I assume on the Paramount lot. That's where you guys shot that. Was that yes, where the right? And then we used the Hollywood Bowl for the baseball scenes, and used the Hollywood All Stars baseball team building oh. the Red Sox and they and the and whoever else the Red Sox were playing. They, yeah, that. Um, I have one little interesting story. It, a quick one, if I may. Oh, we'd love to hear it, of course. Okay. Well, while we were out there working, um, the second unit went to Boston to Fenway Park to film an actual game. Mm-hmm. And it was a long shot, so um, they got the shot of the field, of the entire field. They were far enough away, you couldn't tell, but Pearsall came up to bat. And of course, it was mostly the back of his head. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it was from behind the plate, and uh, he was up there. The bases were loaded, and he hit a triple on camera, which everybody said was just kind of typical of him to be able to do that, you know, and it was all caught on film. 
and it's in the in the movie. It's in. Oh, yeah. that's a that's amazing. It is amazing. amazing. It was amazing. Yes. Yeah. News traveled back to us on the set, and we all went, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing!" And but he did it. He certainly did. That's that's great. That's a that's well, a great story. He really had a wretched time, you know, after he the pressure got to him so much about changing positions and everything and it's mm-hmm. it's really kind of sad about what happened, but he pulled through. You know that he actually didn't break down on the field. Did you know that? No. How how did it actually occur? Because I'm not actually I'm occurred kind of vague. in a hotel room and he went and I don't remember the town he was in, but, you know, they were on, on the road, so it wasn't hometown. Um, and he went totally berserk and threw the television in the hotel room out the window. And I wow. think they took him and got him to a, a place where he could get proper medical treatment. But, of course, he... Uh, had played that entire. He went all through spring training in that season uh, with this problem, and nobody knew. And he yeah. didn't anything, or he didn't remember anything. He's gone now too, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's... Doesn't remember a thing, and it's amazing he played as well as he did. Yeah. Some sometimes you can compartmentalize and put things. Uh, in in a certain yeah. place and get on with the business at hand. Some people have that talent. Well, and uh, and, and he certainly did, and I give him great respect for that. Of course, now I'm very sorry that I never did get to meet him or yeah. him, um, or any of the family. But he insisted to the end that it was not his father's pressure. So yeah. Mm. That's uh well yeah that's uh that that's certainly an interesting story and how he you know overcame it and uh, like I said it's it's great that you were uh, I guess you were inadvertently a part of his life <laughs> so. I guess yes right <laughs> I always felt as though he probably I I'm I'm sure he was antagonistic towards everybody involved with the film because oh yeah um so that kind of kept me from making a great effort to ever try to meet him. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there you go. I'm sorry now that I didn't try. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ever it would have been worth So, so uh, well, I, I, later on, uh, after Fear Strikes Out, we'll just tell people briefly what uh, what became of your career after that. You did some television there with uh, the Walt Disney's World of Color and uh, yes. the team. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Texas John Slaughter, yes. Um, yes, that's right, Texas John Slaughter. Yes, and interestingly enough, Adam, you'll recognize this name. Um, before we ever began filming that, I had two wonderful weeks of working with a man, a stunt man, to improve my western saddle riding. <laughs> I had come out. I had taken English saddle when I was back in North Carolina, but there's quite a lot of difference. <laughs> oh so yeah. He worked with me, and guess what his name was? What was his Richard name? Farnsworth. Wow. <laughs> Little did we know what he was going to go on to do. Oh yeah. Yeah, delightful man. Very, very uh, 
kind of quiet, but he, he opened up after a while. He had a family and some children, and he was actually Tom Tryon's double on the set. And um, But little did I know that he was uh, going to go on to become an actor and quite a successful one. Wow. And yeah. I forgot you had the Tom Tryon connection, too. I forgot all about that, yeah. Yes, he played Texas John Slaughter. That is true, yeah, because uh, I had totally forgotten about that. I, and I'm a big Tom Tryon fan. Oh. Another another actor that I understand was uh, secretly uh, gay as well and never acknowledged that in his lifetime. Uh, but then it came out later on. Yes, that, that, yes. I think that, right, right, yeah, and, interesting. Yeah, yeah he, nice he man. was very nice, very even tempered and always pleasant and really really nice um i was on the set we were filming and we had our you know the, the low director's chairs type of chair and i was very intent on watching what was going on mm-hmm. i think maybe um richard farnsworth was involved with doing some stunt work there and somebody sat down beside me and, and pulled his chair over closer to me. I just knew it was a man. He had a suit on, but I didn't pay any attention. I didn't look at his face. I was more interested in what was going on for the camera. And he kept edging a little bit closer and a little bit closer, and I thought, oh, no. Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) And so I glanced over and had this little, little thin mustache, and he said, how do you do? And I said, hello. And he said, I'm Walt Disney. <laughs> oh. oh, Mr. Disney. <laughs> how nice to meet you. And that was how I met him. And he was very pleasant and chatted and talked in between takes. And and that was my big moment with Walt Disney. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, and I, I, and that was an obvious question. I should have asked you about Walt Disney. It didn't even occur to me. Did you actually have any interaction with the? Yes, the, he, he, the I understand. Himself? Always made a point of meeting his actors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, he was very involved uh, yes. with things. From yes. what I understand, but, he he knew all the. Where he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we were talking about Tom Tryon earlier. That yes. It's an yes. interesting story about him uh, that I uh, – the story I understand is that a couple of years after you guys did Texas John Slaughter that he went on to do The Cardinal with uh, Otto Priminger as the director yes. and that uh, Priminger gave him such a hard time uh, that he was just so – just so mean to him, the story yes. goes that that's why he quit the acting business and went on to oh, do I, uh, become a novelist. Yes, I worked for him one time in a television episode of Sugarfoot, and he was mean. Yes, he was. I couldn't be finished with that fast enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a uh, he was a real tyrant, from what I understand, and. Uh, I also understand that when he reached the end of his career and things weren't going so well for him, there were a lot of people who were secretly smiling uh, oh. in the end when he, because uh, he didn't. His last couple of films were really uh, not not very noteworthy, and I'm being polite when I say that. <laughs> there was uh, uh, yes. some of them were the the butt of jokes, like Skidoo, the one he did with Groucho Marx and Jackie Gleason, and oh. <laughs> some of those were. Uh, Yes. We're, we're not very well received. 
but uh, yeah, but but that's the story, and I think that's interesting that it wasn't. But a couple of years after you guys worked together, that that he had the run-in with Preminger that would lead yes, him. I can understand how that might have happened. Yes, because yeah. besides Tom had other talents. He he was a writer, and he wrote a number of novels, mm-hmm. full of which I have in my bookcase. Um, so he was a very talented man. I didn't know at the time we did Texas John Father that he was a writer as well as an actor. And oh, he was amazing with those. Uh, the other, which he wrote and was made into a yeah. film, also by Robert Mulligan. And it's it's funny how this circle is so small because there you all are. <laughs> you're uh-huh. starting out with Robert Mulligan, and then you're working with Tom Tryon, yeah. and then Tom Tryon writes a book that becomes yeah. directed, yeah. Uh, film directed by Robert Mulligan. So it's just so funny this little continuing circle. And I love the other, by the way. That's one of my all-time favorite horror films. I have recommended it to people. Yeah. For the last forty years, <laughs> and it's done. I agree. It truly was. <laughs> and it is. and yeah, it's, it's amazing. And you think about this, and it's 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 uh, you, you think about this guy, and you're kind of glad that he that Preminger uh, was so mean to him because we yeah. might not have had those great books if he hadn't been. <laughs> That's, he hadn't given enough acting and had more time. Uh, right. No. And because that guy had a fiendish imagination, if you go and read some <laughs> of his other novels, like uh, uh, Harvest Home was the follow-up, and that one's just equally, equally good, and uh, made into a television film with Betty Davis, so that was good. So yeah, he he really had the chops for and the knack for writing. So yeah, he so, so, did. And that was that was that was just amazing yeah. uh, to me when I found that out because I didn't know it at the time we were doing the Texas John Slaughter series. So that was that was definitely a, a plus, and I was happy for him. Yes, absolutely. Well, we'll, uh, we'll we'll wrap this up. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but uh, we'll just uh, we'll say that uh, you you did retire from the business eventually, and you moved yes. to North Carolina. And we'll just let the people who are listening know that, and that you're you're still very active in local theater, which I've had the pleasure of seeing you uh, on several occasions, and you are quite good. Saw you well, in the you. Uh, Golden Pond with uh, James Best a couple of years ago, and yes. uh, you guys did such a great job there with that, and uh, it was it was terrific. And he he didn't live much longer after you guys did that production together, which oh, was no, but it was a treat. <laughs> it really was a treat to do it with him. Yeah. Um, he was great fun, quite the improviser. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that was very good. We we never had the same show twice. Yeah, <laughs> but we did with the major points in it, of course. But he he was uh, great fun, and I'm always be grateful that I had the chance to work with him. Had I had the opportunity of doing Driving Miss Daisy a couple of years before that, which was one of my favorites to do, and that was that was fun. Yeah. So it's been good. It's been good. Well, you still get your creative uh, fulfillment from that, and that and that's that's good that you have an outlet for that, uh, and you're still at it, and I think it's great. So that's terrific. Yes. yes. Well, listen, it has been a real pleasure speaking with you and Adam, having you on our show. Adam, my pleasure. Thank you for letting me babble on so long. <laughs> oh, we we love uh, hearing these stories because these people are, uh, you know. These these are the legends of Hollywood that you've um, interacted with. You know the yeah. legend legends of um, 
of the 50s and 60s and the 70s, the pivotal years for us. And so it's it's amazing that you were you were there in the thick of it. And it's great to hear that from someone who was an actual eyewitness. So. <laughs> Yes, it, it it was. It was a good time, and I'm um, awfully glad I had the opportunity to meet as many people as I did, do as I did. Um, I do a lot of things differently if I had to do over again, but I don't, and that's all right. Mm-hmm.